Hi and welcome. My name is Josh Stone and welcome to another episode of the Ignite podcast. The Ignite podcast is dedicated purely to the engineering and construction industry. Join me as I interview serious change makers, leaders and business owners who are creating significant shifts in the industry, leading inspired teams, running successful businesses and in general, making big things happen. As the old saying goes, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. This podcast is all about bringing like-minded change makers, leaders, and business owners in the engineering and construction industry together to share their stories, their strategies, their ideas, and their mindset on what's working for them right now in order to help you learn from the best to implement and to grow as well. Now, if you'd like some help growing yourself, your team, or your business even faster, head over to my website, www.coachignite.com for more resources or book in a call and we'll map out a plan together for you to move forward with confidence. In the meantime, hit the subscribe button so you get notified about future episodes. Sit back, relax and enjoy the episode. Well, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Ignite podcast. I'm joined today by Jaisal Shaw. Hey Jaisal, how are you? Um, very well. And yourself? Very well, thank you. Um, so I guess for those of uh, people listening and watching who don't know who you are, do you want to give us a bit of a, you know, elevator spiel or a 50 second outline on who you are and what you're doing at the moment? Sure. I haven't been in an elevator for two years, so I think I know yes. what that is fast. Um, <laughs> so I run the uh, innovation practice for GHD Digital, which uh, GHD is a very large uh, global consulting firm. And being in the innovation practice, I focus a lot on a global team, but we focus a lot on um, innovation consulting, innovation storytelling, and work in that space. Yeah, good. And I guess um, to dive right in, like I'd like to start with innovation. So what have you, I guess, what have you sort of seen happen over the last 18 months? I know um, we, caught, we actually caught up um, yeah, about 18 months ago or 12 months ago, we talked a little bit about what was coming from an innovation point of view. What have you sort of seen happening in the last 18 months and where do you see things going to from an innovation point of view within companies? Yeah, good question. I think we might have even spoken in around March and I remember we were just setting up our offices at home and we were thinking about we'd all be back by Easter. It was a bit fanciful if I look back now. Yes. The thing, the thing I've noticed a lot about the whole concept of innovation, um, in particular during COVID, was it became a game changer right at the get-go that we knew that companies would need to think about what innovation meant if they were going to survive, if they were actually going to be an organisation that got through. We also saw, in particular with COVID and vaccines and companies coming together to support the pandemic we were watching innovation stories left, right, and centre that were extraordinary, um, including I mean, our innovation efforts to stand up a, a hospital in the Qatar region. Designs within eight days was extraordinary. Like that's wow. that idea of really moving and putting together innovation teams. We saw Lego hand dispenser units being built in refugee, you know, organisations. So that was that idea of innovation to 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 survive and really deal with pan to the pandemic head on. But then what I've been watching and I've been doing a lot of work in this space, in particular, um, as I've been able to co-develop with our CIO at GHD, the enterprise-wide innovation strategy for the business, first time they've mm -hmm. ever had one, was that 
a lot of organizations then started to rest on what one might call continuous improvement. And they were just keeping the lights on and ensuring that the business of what does remote working mean? What does this mean? And so I think there's a challenge ahead where innovation from the uh, a spectrum, the area about really doubling down and investing in disruption innovation and business model innovation for a future, I don't feel is as prevalent or as prioritized as, as I would hope with clients and with communities because we've kind of been trying to survive. But the flip, the good part of that is we've actually been talking a lot about innovation to survive. So thank goodness it's becoming part of the conversation. It's not a nice to have anymore. It's actually something that people know. I just hope that we don't constrain our, our thinking to innovation in that, that little bit of an improvement, a little bit of continuous. You know, I hope that we don't lose the opportunity to actually also think about, you know, future, future stuff transformation stuff yeah and i'd like to i'd probably like to unpack that a little bit more because i i'm coming fresh out of a um a, a group training i ran this morning with a business in in sydney and mm -hmm. one of their four company values is innovation and we i was guiding the conversation into well, what does innovation look like for you as a team and where are we going in the next 12 months 24 months from an innovation point of view and mm -hmm. one of the team members raised a really interesting point which was we always get our ideas shut down and we always when we were thinking about innovation and new ideas we often get met with resistance around um well this is the way it's always been done if it ain't broken don't fix it mm -hmm. um it's one of the values of the business but um so how have you guys sort of tackled or how do you, how would you encourage thinking around um to tackle encouraging individuals to think about innovation from the viewpoint of not necessarily trying to tackle leadership sorry not trying to tackle management and trying to take on um you know the people that don't want to change but how would you encourage individuals to think about innovation and start to kind of plant that seed and think about those things within their yes. team to start that change happening yes i have a lot of tactics and examples and a few war wounds from where, <laughs> <laughs> like that team where i put my head up from the pulpit but to go back to the why of why is there that friction and why is that there that constraint and even understanding that I think a lot of the challenge with when we talk about innovation is not a shared understanding of what we mean the nomenclature um, and there is a lot of work around for, for you to have an innovation strategy or an innovation program or have people that are deemed able to draw off the innovation um, bucket or whatnot. It's about giving people an understanding of what you mean, what type of innovation. And so I would be encouraging organizations to have a, it, it has to be signed off from the top, but a shared glossary or a shared nomenclature of innovation means for our company, for example, fresh thinking that with some type of action creates a value, or it might mean uh, what it might not mean. It doesn't mean just creating a patent or just creating this. I think that's one of the challenges and that's what why things often get shut down because people think you mean this and you actually mean this. Yes. Um, in relation to those type of people you're talking about, you know, they're real entrepreneurs and it is hard. And it's hard because cultures don't necessarily want to change, especially if something's not broken or it seems to be making money or it seems to be in the eyes of a client what they want. 
So you kind of got to give them um, air cover. You've got to create ways to give them support and in particular give them support when things might actually not go not go further or you need to close them down and not have them feel either embarrassed or a failure that an innovation didn't get out of the out of the gates because it's it is really really hard so one of the ways that we've been thinking about that at, um, at GHG and I mentioned we've been co-developing um, enterprise-wide strategy was first of all we did spend some time unpacking what did innovation mean to the leaders and all. And so we had a massive smorgasbord of, of definitions. And that was good. At least we knew that people knew about it but didn't have an understanding. We then yep. created that idea of a North Star that would be signed off and would then be shared as our shared glossary of what innovation meant. And for us, innovation is three things. Innovation is an outcome. Innovation is a process. And the best part, innovation is a mindset. And yeah. so out of that, we are now in this, um, this piece of, we're at this stage in the uh, making the innovation strategy real where we're starting to unpack how do, you, how do you really build the innovation mindset? And I can talk about the type of DNA and what's, what characteristics are important and what we should be focusing on for our future. Uh, what's the type of processes we might use? What does innovation as an outcome really look like? And that's exciting because you're starting to then have shared language. And because I work with a lot of um, technical people and people that ex um, understand and respect standards, safety standards, ISO standards, what we've also done is um, ensured that our strategy is aligned to a very new standard. You probably know about it, Josh, 56002. It's the ISO standard on innovation. Yep. And so, again, using that as a as a way to ensure that our own strategy is stands up and, and has that um, that language and has that intent. So that's some of those sort of tactics and, and ways that we're going about this. That's awesome. And I guess to unpack a little bit about what you've, so again, fresh from this experience about this business that, you know, they've, they've been given a mandate. One of the company values is innovation and their, their feedback from the team that I was working with was we always get stuck or blocked because the company doesn't actually want to change. And so I guess what you're alluding to is a, a powerful way to, to actually get the entire business on board with innovation is actually to say, well, hey, this is one of your core values. We yes. as a business unit or we as a team are really keen to, push that forward but we need to actually have buy-in from um, the leadership team from management around some um, some parameters or some things like you talked about the, the three legs of, of the stool before some some key points that yes. we as a team can now go away and um, we don't need to bother you anymore you know that we're working on some cool things um, and you know that we're working on one of the four core values of the business but we've now got buy-in from leadership and management we've also got some direction in terms of uh, some key areas to focus on or some key uh, uh, focus points and yes. we can now move forward with confidence. What's also good about your example of your client, um, and we, we did this early in the piece, um, you know, strategy at the end of the day is a set of decisions. It's choices that you make in order to, to win and win might be win the hearts of clients. It might mean win in that you present an impactful a program of works that align to an SDG goal. It might be win against a competitor, all those things, but it's about choices. Yep. And what's interesting about as we built the strategy, rather than just 
create something that we change the date and we use some others, we co-created it right from the get-go. And at the very beginning, um, using a, a design thinking kind of methodology, you would know Double Diamond. We first of all, and, and I would encourage your client to think about this, we went outside the business to also think about what good looked like. And we did some desk research on what high-performing innovation companies, i.e. factually successful, um, S&P index, um, client retention, st staff retention, brand eminence awards, all the things that add up to, you can on, hand on your heart say, I am a high performing company. We looked at those in different sectors as well as we our, um, our own to start understanding the characteristics of what formed a innovative company. So that when it came to the leadership, we were able to point outside and say, we can say everything till the cows come home, but Let's, let's be um, objective. So we did that first before we came in and then um, had that idea of being able to understand from a ground up and a top down what our North Star was going to be. So it would be really great for your client to be able to see what good, because sometimes it helps you to, to fight your cause if you can show that in these sectors or in these organisations, this is how they've done it. And um, you know, that's another way for you to then you know be able to, present your cause and so we've created all these commitments that um, are our commitments but I definitely looked at big good at good practice and being able to look and say high performing companies do something very well and that's that they share they spotlight and they celebrate and we've used words like that to make it easier for old minds to remember yes. and so what that means is every moment that you have an opportunity to stop and share an innovation story and make it fit for purpose and use the right language that you have to, you, you have to celebrate it. You have to stop. So stop, share, celebrate, spotlight. We've got another commitment we've called, I have to remember, e -E -E, embed everywhere and early, embed early and everywhere. Yes. So that says innovation doesn't come at the very end when suddenly you've got a little bit of money left or the client suddenly says, this is good, but I wanted something better or oh, quick. I better go back to the, no, embed it early, embed it in as you scope up a job, as you hire someone, the first interview, as you have your first kickoff with a client, embed early, embed everywhere. Don't leave it to just the innovation team in the fancy room with the post-it notes. Don't leave it to just your chief. In so again, these are commitments that become quite, they sound twee, oh, embed earlier everywhere, oh, share, celebrate, spotlight, but they need to be interesting and then they need to have oomph behind them. Got you. I love that. And I love the, I love it, I love it breaking down into threes. My business is based on threes everywhere because it's My easy to remember number. and it makes, yeah. makes the biggest impact. Um, and those acronyms in terms of allowing people to remember. Yes. Um, I want to talk about, you, you mentioned the third leg um, the innovation for, for GHD or for the stuff that you've been doing was mindset. And again, one of the comments raised with the, with the business I work with this morning was, um, well, one of, the, one of the, the, the things that we looked at was innovation is a very different mindset. So oh, yeah. solving um, the things that we do every day from a technical point of view in the engineering and construction space um, usually involve mainly the logical brain, the rational yes. brain where you can just kind of, you know, you know the answer, you know you've just got to work through the problem and you'll get to a solution. It's very yes. logical. And yes. we 
we're talking a lot about having to step into a bit more of an emotive brain or an inno- what we call the mm. innovative mindset to mm. actually think, because a lot of the times when we were talking about innovation, they were saying, well, that's not going to work or that's a silly idea. And it's like, well, yes, that may be true, but how about we step into a different mindset to brainstorm those ideas and, and let go of the part of us that's always trying to critique and analyse the things and, and yes. poo-pooing them. Um, so we talked a lot about having to step into a different mindset in order to actually come up with really innovative and new ideas and let yes. go of the old and, and sort of embrace what's possible. Yes. What do you? I love that. I love yeah. that you're, you're focusing on that because um, sometimes I feel that the art, the creative brain comes across to those that are used to being logical as a little unhinged or too broad. You know, to say to an engineer, hey, let's do blue sky thinking and let's think about anything, it's quite paralyzing. And, and yeah. even for extroverts or people that have come out of the arts, constraint is actually quite, um, provides some freedom in that rather than just say go wild, you create these spaces where you get them to open up and try things differently, but you can still create some constraints. You could say, Right, this is how we usually do it. We're going to do it this way and we're going to ask you about this. We still want you to tell us that you need to do this particular task within six weeks. And we still say that you need to do it for this client, but we're going to take away this tool, this tool, and this. Oh no, but we always need those. No, we're gonna we're gonna brainstorm in this constrained world, but we're gonna take out some of those things. So there's a lot of oh, work in it. that in that. So that's kind of brainstorming without paralyzing with. You've just asked me to come up with anything about anything. It's kind of sometimes too blue sky. I mean, yes, too, too blue sky. So what we think about when we talk about the innovation mindset is um, acknowledging that whether you're a left brain or a right brain, as humans, we all carry at least, I, I think I've got the numbers right, at least 100 cognitive biases in, our, in the way we think at any one time. Totally. And about 22 of those are directly connected to how we innovate or how we we are held back. And when I talk about that, um, status quo bias is how we always do it. Hippo bias, highest paid opinion in the room. You know, you think that it's this, but he or she is a technical service line and they've done this for 40 years and they've won, oh, well, they must know. So all these biases are there and that's okay, but it's more about respectfully acknowledging them and, and sort of saying, right, these are the elephants in the room, let's put them in the pen. Yep. And then let's think about what are some of the innovative, creative um, mindsets that, again, I use facts. We look to high-performing innovation companies that are led by high-performing people and there's, they can be in the side out sector or they can be out. And people will say Steve Jobs, people will say Bezos. And sometimes that's a little bit disconnecting because people can't see that in their own role. Yep. But whoever they are, and then there's been so much work that is unpacking, how do they approach problems? How do they network? How do they ask questions? And you find that it's five core characteristics of that come about by being curious, asking catalytic questions, prototyping and experimenting without fear of, of trepidation that you don't fail, um, networking, uh, networking with people that are different to you, um, observing, stopping, kind of seeing things, and then another is associating, thinking about other sectors, other markets, other ways people have done and think, well, that's interesting. If I use that tool or way of working in my own, what might that be? So we've started to do a lot of masterclasses and, and tactical 
um, uh, workshops about the art of networking and the art of asking catalytic questions. And like these are with some really quite um, diverse sets of people that are really quite um, uh, are finding that it's it's quite transformational in that they've always thought that networking was salesy, dirty, only for extroverts. But when you take it through an innovation lens and you talk about high-performing innovators don't network the way that we're thinking that bad stereotype, they network because they're so curious and they're going, how did you, I'm so interested, you're different and tell me about what you do. And, and it's a completely different network. And so it's about really understanding that and making space for that type of networking and giving those chances to bump into people that are different and have different approaches, et cetera. That is so good. So good. And I, I've not thought about it from a point of view of um, when you think about innovation and you ask an engineering team or a business that's been doing things for the same way for so long and you go, well, let's just drop a logical brain and think totally blue sky. It would be so overwhelming yes. for for those particular individuals whose yes. brains may might not be particularly wired that way. So giving that process some framework, yes. um, I love that. That's I can tell you a story about that that happened uh, last year for us, Josh, and that's what I love about this job is that we're always learning and, you know, an innovation team is, is always thinking about different ways to use different tools. So we decided to deploy a third-party um crowdsourcing uh, like idea farming tool that we'll put in our own toolkit we use it with clients but we wanted to test it ourselves internally so it was when we'd all gone home to do remote working and the pandemic had just really started and we needed to have some um, ways that we worked out how could we deal with remote and how could we deal with clients so I set up an idea crowdsourcing campaign inside the business to get people to not provide solutions just to provide ideas that we would scaffold and we would hope that an idea would go out and then someone in that yes and would go, yes, and oh, I've seen that and that's brilliant. Went out with the big woohoo crickets. And I'm what? thinking, oh, come on, like this is exciting. We've never done this before. This is a great way. And I realized that, first of all, no one wanted to put the first idea with the fear that someone would say oh, that will never work or why that's not even a fully formed solution. Of course. So then we had to go back and explain that we're not asking for solutions and we're also not, not asking for things to be fail proof. That's not the purpose. So we had to change the language and I had to get a couple of my kind of and first adopter catalyst, those people in the business that didn't have their arms crossed going oh, innovation team more were like, I'm really curious, this is exciting. And we got them to put a few ideas in. And then we celebrated that and showed that it's no one is being tested by no idea was bad and it wasn't a solution. And so, again, it became that idea of, because at the beginning it was paralysis. It was a fear of I will look silly if, if I'm putting a half-baked idea out. And so, again, it's meeting people where they're at, using the right language, sometimes me not being a non-engineer stepping into the shadows and having someone else that see is more of a, akin to someone that we're trying to uh, um, convert, having yes. them lead. And then sometimes it, it depends. And again, that's because, you know, we need diverse inputs and, and diversity in those teams. But that's the whole idea. That's what I love about um, this conversation is like, it's, that's the whole idea of you sort of fail fast, you learn, you innovate and you keep moving. Like if you've got a, 
a vision for what you want to create. It's, it's recognizing that you're not going to get that perfect. Although engineers love to get things perfectly perfect all the time, recognizing that that's, it's just, it's just a process. And if that yes. didn't work, well, Hey, let's, and I love what you, you mentioned before about being curious and having a curious mindset about um, what's a different way we could look at this or what's a different solution to the problem we're facing and still keep that longer term goal or longer term why about why we're actually pursuing this in the first place yes. front and center as your north star um, yes. and and not giving up yes and, and i have to say it's not that engineers are not curious absolutely and Agreed. it's it's more it's the it's the perspective of of the curiosity so because i come out of the arts the whole um methodology or themes of being in arts and humanity is you start first of all with asking questions about what might be what is possible blue sky-esque and my science and engineering friends talk about you you have the the point of view of what is and then you need to test and question in order to ensure and understand what is which is kind of this idea it's already a given as opposed to the arts brain and the creative brain is not to, not to be thinking about what is and making sure and doing experimentation and doing science to check. It's more this idea of, hey, what could be possible? So when you do bring these STEM and these STEM-enabled professions a la STEAM together, yes. it's, pretty, it's pretty magical. It's, it's pretty potent. And, you know, yesterday was Ada Lovelace Day and she's a daughter of a poet and a mathematician and... Yep. We got the first computer program, didn't we? So I'm all for hanging out with people like you, Josh. It's important that we, and that's this whole commitment of diversity in dialogue and in delivery, diverse teams, staying curious, et cetera. Totally. Okay. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk, um, talk culture and talk, I guess, what have you seen happen, occur in the last 18 months? Um, around culture and team and, and maybe we'll even tie the leadership's discussion into that around sort of you know the leaders creating good culture that you're sort of seeing at the moment so I guess sure. yeah, yeah yeah starting with culture like what have you sort of I guess look at the lessons learned in the past 18 months and how can we use that to move forward big it's a we're in the biggest culture experiment of our life uh, it's yeah. amazing when I think I was listening to some anthropologists that were saying the last time was World War Two. you know when you know suddenly women were in the workforce we haven't had this chart this whole disruption and that's not only with working and from home and work life blend it's organization culture so the culture that was and what does culture mean the way we do things around here we don't have the way we do things around here either in the office anymore we have this hybrid world so from an innovation perspective I'm noticing that um, culture is a little bit dis, um, is a bit fragmented, uh, and that's something that I feel we have to work hard on. From a culture perspective of uh, building a culture from a remote perspective to start, there is a whole new way of leading. I, I think that's what I'm I'm sensing, and why I say that is, leading is about. Um, influencing it's about exciting it's about caring it's all these things to do it through a screen it's it's quite difficult yes uh, how do you create a leadership um eminence or a uh a, a, you know a, a, a gravitas or an influencing way when you're trying to do it through a screen and you can't actually see or you can't you can't feel or you can't understand so i feel there um a new 
leadership kind of tactics and and ways that we have to think about being conscious of that. Um, yep. I'm, I'm mentoring a couple of um, uh, sort of young women professionals about that, about how do you build influence, what language can you use on screen to ensure that you're able to to make that you know to be persuasive because yep. it's it's not the same it's not it's it's and it's you're right i think we are going through one of the biggest cultural and leadership leadership shifts we've seen in our lifetime and so everyone who's in a leadership actually everyone who's in the workforce at the moment is going through some form of change or yes. another and um i guess leading on from you you mentioned your mentoring and you're talking through those challenges without giving away too many secrets is there any kind of key kind of um, elements that you're discussing around good tactics leadership traits that you're seeing working really well that are helping navigate through the screen to get to the team on the other side yeah a couple of things so it depends on on who i'm supporting at the moment some are young professionals and grads um some are, are women that are interested in more about building that presence in particular for yps and grads what i have realized we're missing is as as leaders and as managers what they're used to see what they have been used to seeing in the past when we're in the office is um overhearing a conversation seeing a leader walk through and how they engage with a client glass boardrooms, being able to watch how a board meeting might have been um, the, the body language. None of that's happening anymore. Yes. And so, and that is, a, I, I feel, I, I worry about that because that's beyond the job training that we're not seeing. So from that perspective, I'm making tactical moves to ensure that we have them shadow us, um, have opportunities where, you know, I say to our market leads or others, I know this YP might not be on the job, it might, but can they come and be involved in a conversation to hear how you talk to a new client, um, ask a new client about what's the best way that you want to communicate with us? Do you want to do Zoom? Do you want to do this? So it's about being really um, clear and being very conscious that, that's, that they're missing that. Some will call them um, uh, enterprise skills or business skills, but they're things that are missing. So that's one thing. Yep. Uh, the second around um, gravitas in in especially in the in the screen, it's language that's used. We've engaged so many clients that we've never met before. Now, so much of the how you build a relationship with someone, you build because you've seen them, you hear them, they walk into the room. It's not, I'm not going to say it's a charisma, but there's all this trust that comes from the body language. How do you totally. get how do you get that through in a screen? So it's not, and I think this is not disingenuous, but I think it's about using language that helps helps our teams talk about rather than I, I hear this, you know, language will be, well, you know, um, I, I I guess, I guess we could do this or uh no guessing you've suddenly taken your all your knowledge and you've 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 cut half your value away so you know using words around you know from my experience or with the research that i've done uh the interviews i've i've incorporated through my this it's using language that is respectful but shows a gravitas yes but you've got to be conscious of it You've got to be, you've got to own the space when you come in to a Zoom call or an MS school. You, 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 so these are things that we're working on to try and 
um, excite people through through, vis through visual communication, but give that that idea of we are trusted to you and we're here to support you. And language matters, communication matters. Totally. And I hadn't really thought about it through that lens that you mentioned the first point around. Because I think back to early in my career when I was junior engineer in businesses where you would you walk past the boardroom and you'd see the directors in their meeting and the body language is either good or bad or what have you. But you. Yes you instantly got an appreciation for what it would be like to sit around that table at a decision-making level to, to, you know, decide on where you're taking the business or the, you know, the harder decisions. And yes. you got an appreciation that there were people having those meetings and it, it's all of that um, secondary <laughs> learning, like you said, on the job that we're missing now. So. And in particular con conflict or ch challenging conversations, yeah, they don't hear those anymore. How do you resolve a challenge or or a disagreement in a way that they would have been able to see that before and learn from? Uh, you know, I, I I know that these type of people in the business are so good at at dissolving conflict or diffusing a situation. The minute that Zoom call finishes, that's that knowledge is is not being able to be shared. So yeah. having those and intentional water cooler moments. Something that I'm trying to do more and more is create, um, you know, breaks in between meetings where I get onto a call early, which is like when you stood outside the boardroom before or you've been waiting someone else to come out of the meeting. You have that little chat. You find out something about someone. You build another little Lego block of trust. Yep. Yep. So, and I so, love. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. So from a leadership point of view and anyone who's listening or watching who is still you know, looking for ways to navigate that. I think what you're talking about, if they do have a 2IC or someone who, um, you know, from their point of view has got really good potential in their team or their business, it is about kind of regardless of whether they're needed or not in that meeting. Like, yes, I'm sure you could turn up to that meeting and handle that client issue on your own without that, that uh, person shadowing you. But it's having that conscious awareness that because we're not back in the office yet, hopefully that's coming soon over the yes. next you know three to six months um bringing that person along because they love it they feel so grateful about giving yes. the opportunity to be in those high level meetings but also you're giving that an opportunity to be part of those discussions yes. and see what's going on yeah yes. i love that and i i am actually a very silver lining anyway so there's been so many positives out of this remote because we've been able to open up meetings now to people that we would never have before had or thought True. So I was on a workshop last night in Abu Dhabi and, you know, to be able to bring some of the port experience here and work with this particular port client. Now, in the past, I'm sure they wouldn't have thought, oh, we don't have a budget for her to come. But, you know, that idea of being able to be in those, those virtual rooms. The other thing, as an extrovert, I'm very conscious of introverts in spaces in facilitating workshops. I think the virtual world has actually been kind of kind to how we've been able to ensure, especially through, you know, using uh, amazing tools like Miro and Mural, it gives different ways that people digest information or engage in something time in a workshop to be able to be contributing, whether it's through, you know, chat function or being able to post it notes whilst this lot are chatting furiously. Again, I think that these have been really interesting dynamics and I hope we never lose that. Um, yeah. Hired a lot of people over the last um, year, and some are in rural, non cities. 
And I don't want to ever go back to thinking that you have to live in a big city in order to have a fulfilling career. And these uh, opportunities, they probably would not have had if we hadn't have had this, this pandemic. So to have people that are in everywhere from Wangaratta to Perth to Toronto, all over the shop, um, it gives people an opportunity to yeah, be their full self wherever they live. Yep. Only time yep. zone. That's the only challenge. <laughs> I know. I know. That is something that is difficult to navigate. You need to sort of four clocks on your wall somewhere. True. Um, client relationships. What have you, I mean, obviously you would work with obviously internal and external um, stakeholders a lot. Um, more external clients to GHD. Like what do you see working really well at the moment in terms of um, tools, tactics, strategies, things that are working well to develop deeper client relationships. So I talk a lot with my clients around, um, you know, a client will come along and hire an engineer or an engineering company for a service and you might get that job because you're the cheapest or you've got a good reputation. But obviously once you get a foot in the door and you start to develop a relationship with that client, you want to develop a relationship um, that's as deep as possible so that you move to that what I call trusted advisor status yes. where you are constantly they're calling you about all their worries and their threats because they trust you and they want yes. you to help solve their problem and you know what, you're there when you know their coffee order even oh, when you know you their virtual coffee order yeah. okay so that's one yeah. tactic know their coffee yeah. order know what football team they follow yep so no, what do you no, see working well that that human part, um, you know, empathy for, first. We are all going through challenging times, and even working with um, clients in in beautiful places like WA, that I, we might suggest have a, a different experience to us in Melbourne. But that comes with it with different challenges, and so it's meeting people where they're at and knowing that we're going to be talking about a serious project. We're going to talk about a serious thing, but stopping to actually understand the human that's behind the decisions. I, I'm a bit of a study nerd. So even during COVID, I did an INSEAD course to double down on my um, innovative design, you know, um, skills. And I've done this ISO, ISO training and all these things. And what, what came out and I hadn't thought about it for some time was, I think it's, it's either Peter Drucker or it's Clayton Christensen. I think it's Clayton talks about every person when they make a decision, there's the job to be done, the functional job, the job that the client says we need to do. And the client says, I want you to, let's be so simple, build the bridge. Yep. But behind the functional job to be done is what are known as your social job and your emotional job. So client X says to you, Josh, I need you to build the bridge because you, you are amazing. But their social and emotional job to be done is they can't look like they pick the wrong consultant to do the job because their boss will think that they haven't made the right decision. They need, their own reputation is at stake, their own um, peer, you know, how they fit within a team, their own political, you know, hierarchy in their organisation. We spend so much time in RFPs, RFQs, RF, alphabet RFs, thinking about the functional job to be done. And it's like I've started to put tactically um, this wonderful one-pager that gets us to think about think, do, feel, you know, where does the client at the moment think about us, feel about us, do? Where, if we win this and get their hearts and mind, do we want them to be? How do I want them to feel about me? What I want them to say about us, what they actually think without saying, you know, what's that? 
but also I want to know about the functional job to be done. Yep, I can read it in the brief, but I want to know about what is behind their fear or their excitement. Because if you can tap into that, and that's not to be super, this is not sales, this is human to human contact. Mm. And I have a client who, you know, the amount of times I have spoken to her in the frozen food section of the supermarket over the last, because she's got kids and we've called at a certain time and she's been open and the quietest part of the supermarket was the corner. (laughs) And I'd be standing listening, thinking this isn't, this is a part of my job with her is to meet her, what, where she's at, the stress of the particular client, the politics that is as much gold as doing the job that was in the brief. So functional, social, emotional jobs to be done and the idea of think, feel, do and knowing and, and trying to do an exercise where you, you, you say to your teams, what do you think right now they're thinking about us? What are they saying about us? What would they tell others? Is that right? Are we feeling good about this? Is this where we really want to be? Are we truly trusted advisors? Or are we the project people that they have to use role eyes? So yep. being really um, empathetic and one would say um, alicocentric, get in their shoes, walk around in their shoes. But, you know, you have to be curious and want to be with people. And there's an amazing researcher at Swinburne that pulled out this research that said, as humans, we are pattern-seeking storytelling animals whether you're an engineer or not. And so we seek these patterns. We want to tell stories. We want to find connections. So that's, to me, gold. And then working out how to tell those stories. Yeah, there's so much more to the client relationship puzzle than just doing the thing that you got signed up on the fee proposal for. And I think that's what a um, a lot of businesses, a lot of my clients that I'm working with tend to miss that because they fall into the, uh, category of like the industry is busy at the moment everyone's overwhelmed overworked that kind of thing there's so much work to do that everyone just moves into just delivery phase and just getting stuff done and that's fine obviously yes we've been hired to do a job and to deliver but it's about particularly so particularly from a leadership point of view particularly from someone who is that client facing facing person and responsible for that client relationship it is a really really good use of their time to block out a half an hour in their calendar yes. um once a week to actually just call that client for no other reason than just to check in to see how they're going and really yes. remove it's got nothing to do with the project I just wanted I just thought I'd call check in Everything. and see how you're going yeah, yeah. and yeah. curiosity you if you're not curious about your client I don't think you're in the right job yeah you know you have to be it's more than that functional job it's about being curious about where they're at and being asking you know the idea of asking catalytic questions it's that's another paralysis, this idea that, oh, I can't ask questions. Why can't you? I'll look dumb. I should know the answer. I'm looking nosy. The innovative mindset talks about curiosity is if you're curious about your client and you're interested and you want to know more, oh, my goodness, it's very rare for someone to then say, you know, too much, too much. (laughs) Stop getting to know me. Stop caring about my own my own yeah. organization. So, you know, the mentoring I do, and you know, if you've got any young people on the call, I, they don't have to be young. I mentor anyone. I've never ever said no to any young professional that is interested in, in these skills because these these are capabilities that they don't necessarily learn in their courses. 
And no. parts of the world loves to call them soft skills, which irritates me to no end because they're <laughs> really hard. But yes. you've got to be really conscious of these um, these these skills and and have them right out there as alongside your technical skills because technical more. skills will get you so far, but it's these extra ones in the DNA that will make you just go crazy successful. Absolutely. Jaisal, final question. And I know I haven't really prepared you for this, um, but with everything that you know now and sort of your successes um, and the learnings that you've had to date in your career um, and all the things that you sort of know now to be true, if you think back to yourself 10 years ago, what advice would you give to that 10-year younger version of yourself? Oh, my gosh, 10 years, 10 years. Okay, I was working in a university that I haven't, that I haven't really got started yet, i.e. this innovation world is a, is a, is such an incredible journey. And so there's no, there is no destination. There is a destination, but I would have said, just take it easy and enjoy this learning journey. There's this excitement to, you know, get on and achieve when there is so much pleasure in the actual learning and, and, and understanding and taking stock. So I probably would have said that, there's always that fear of, oh, I'm going to miss this and, oh, I haven't been able to get to that milestone. So it probably would have been that because that's what I'm telling some of my high-performing mentees that I feel like they're mentoring me and saying, whoa, you are 25. You, you, you have so much time ahead. Just stop, breathe, look around, observe, because all of this will be you will use as you continue in your whatever portfolio career you know you have but totally. never stop never stop learning curiosity is one of the best things to keep the brain on um on fire beautiful love it Jaisal, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today um thank you where can everyone connect with you if they want to sort of connect with you further LinkedIn well, or yeah linkedin's easy because i have such an unusual name so i'm very <laughs> easy to find there um or i'm at ghd or if people are interested in sustainable fishing I have a startup in that space that is that's another little job on the side but yeah LinkedIn is probably the easiest way and um, I'm pretty 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 friendly so more than happy to help any of your listeners sounds good well again thank you so much thank um, you talk to you again soon hey all right thanks so much Josh see ya see ya bye Hi there. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. Don't forget, if you'd like some help growing yourself, your team, or your business even faster, head over to my website, www.coachignite.com for more resources. Or book in a call and we'll map out a plan together for you to move forward with confidence. Don't forget also to hit the subscribe button so you get notified about future episodes. Take care, my friends, and see you again soon.